John chapter 17, beginning in verse 24. Let's read together. Father, I desire that they also whom you gave me may be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory which you have given me. For you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, the world has not known you, but I have known you, and these have known that you sent me. And I have declared to them your name and will declare it, that the love with which you loved me may be in them and I in them. We have come to the last three verses of this high priestly prayer of the Lord Jesus Christ. His prayer as he was just about ready to go and to be betrayed and to be taken to the cross. And these are the final words of his prayer. This prayer has been amazing to study through because within the prayer you just hear the heart of our God as he calls out unto the Father in his final moments here on earth. So, we approach them, recognizing that Jesus isn't praying specifically for us to have prosperous lives, but that our lives would be given unto him, and he looks forward to our eternity with him. This week, I know that there's three memorial services that I know of. Um, I think of families within the church in the last weeks and months in which um, you've lost ones that are dear to you. Tomorrow, with it being Memorial Day, being in a place of remembering some that, that you knew, some that were dear to you, that gave their lives up for our country. And you think of, you think of heaven. You think of eternity. You think of what life is, is like as we enter into eternal life. And the text before us, I pray that for everybody here that you would find this to be just an incredible blessing. To begin in verse 24, Jesus says, Father, I desire that they also whom you gave me may be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory which you have given me, for you love me before the foundation of the world. This prayer, Father, Jesus' desire is that those that have been given to him, he's thinking specifically of those in whom have been given to him, his people, those who will come to salvation, those who will spend eternity with him, those that you, have, that you gave me may be with me where I am. His desire, his prayer, is that we and those who have gone before us would be with him, would be with him. Our Lord has a strong, affectionate love for his people, doesn't he? I want them I want them with me. I want them with me. The fact that we will one day be with the Lord is one of the greatest comforts we have as believers. To be with him. You hear that phrase, they've gone to be with 
the Lord. We say those words when someone passes away, if we are assured of their salvation, they've gone to be with the Lord. And I pray that that we would not say those words and have it be where it's just words, a, a nice way of saying they died. They've gone to be with the Lord. His prayer to the Father is, I desire that they would be with me, with me. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul's talking about how we're in this body and in this tent. We who are in this tent, we groan, we're burdened. Not because we want to be unclothed, but to be further clothed. That mortality may be swallowed up by life. That when we die, it is just it's swallowed up with, with life. Then he says, now he who has prepared us for this very thing is a God who has also given the Spirit as a guarantee. Our, our bodies, this mortality, this tent will be swallowed up with life and the Holy Spirit has been given to us as a guarantee. And then he goes from there in, in verse 6 to say, while we are at home in the body, we're absent from the Lord. And then in verse 8 he says, but we are confident, yes, well pleased, rather to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Currently, right now, we're in these fleshly bodies. We recognize that, that God is in our midst. We recognize that he is omnipresent. He's at all places. But there is a difference from where we are at currently versus where we will be at in eternity. Currently, we are at home in the body and we're absent from the Lord. But there is coming a day in which we will be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. In 1 Thessalonians in chapter 4, it talks about the Lord coming and back and he says the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first, and we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And then it says this, this sentence, and thus we shall always be with the Lord. We shall always be with the Lord. To be with Him, not only to be with Him, but to be always with with him for all eternity to be with the Lord, to go home to be with the Lord. And then it says, therefore, comfort one another with these words. It should be just the most incredible comfort to us to know that when we leave this body as those who have faith in Christ, we will be present with the Lord and we will be with him for all eternity. I can look around the sanctuary and think of so many of you in whom I was with you either, either when a loved one passed or shortly thereafter. And you're thinking of them right now. You, as you read texts like this, that they're the first people that come to your mind. They are with the Lord. They will always be with the Lord. Comfort one another with those words. 
To be with Christ forever is the highest source of happiness imaginable for any creature. And we are blessed with such a perfect gift forever. In Psalm 16 and verse 11, it says, You will show me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. I was speaking with Jim Gersang and the family this last week. And um, he said when, when his wife, Chris, passed, well, one of the greatest comforts to him was listening to Pastor Jim Milligan's series on heaven. Um, if you've never heard that series on heaven, you need to listen to it. Did several studies on heaven, and it's on our website. It's on Blue Letter Bible. But he he said one of the greatest comforts to him was was to to hear the teaching on what heaven is like, what it's like. And in texts like this, it just gives us just glimpses of it. In His presence is fullness of joy. At His right hand are pleasures. Forevermore, And when I was talking with Jim, I said that, you know, I'm certain that when our congregation goes home to be with the Lord, every one of us as believers will at one time be home with the Lord. And I, I said, I, I guarantee you that they are going to be there and they, they are going to think, our pastor did the most pathetic job of describing this place. Like he just, it was pathetic. It was pitiful. He didn't have us nearly as excited as we ought to have been to think of heaven. And, and I assure you, I will be there thinking, I did a pathetic job of describing this place. And I'll think of the Apostle John who said, well, heaven's like this, you know, and you go through, it looks like an emerald or it, 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 the street is like transparent glass. It's like gold. And, and, and I'm going to think, but he kind of did a pathetic job of describing. And, and yet he's thinking of what is the most glorious thing I can think of to describe this? And I tell you, and be assured of this, words cannot describe what it is to enter into the joy of the king of this universe. Just can't. You're going to be there and to have fullness of joy and pleasures forevermore to be able to be in his presence and to behold his glory is going to be far greater, exponentially greater than anything that you could have ever imagined it to be. David had said in Psalm 27, in verse 4, there's one thing that I've desired of the Lord, and that will I seek, that I may dwell in the house of our Lord all the days of my life, and to behold the beauty of the Lord, and to inquire in his temple. There's just one thing that I desire. And as you hear him say these things, the thing that he looks to is to behold the beauty of the Lord. 
Now I recognize that, that David could be looking at living here and being here now and being able to be in a place like this and just to behold the beauty of the Lord. I pray that that would take place on a regular basis for you as you come into the house of the Lord. That it would be a place in which you behold his beauty and you are just in awe of him and you long for him and you just are amazed at the God in whom we serve. But I'll tell you, when you get to heaven, for all eternity, you will behold the beauty of the Lord and it will, it will never get old. It will never get old. Every day will just be majestic and glorious and full of joy. You hear Paul talking about how for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. And, and he goes from there to saying like, well, what would I choose between the two? To, to live and to be here or to die and to be with the Lord. And you, you hear him say, I'm, I'm hard pressed between the two, having a desire to, be, to depart and to be with Christ. And then he just says, which is far better? To be with Christ, that phrase, to be with him is far better than being here. Far better. Far better than anything that you could ever imagine here on earth. Paul's just saying, I think it's more needful for me to be here right now, but being there is far better. It is just far better to be there. John Eager saying has been there for eight days. Far better. Linda Over's mom, Opal, has been there since Tuesday. Far better. They're there in a place of just saying, this is far better than anything I ever experienced here on earth. To be with Christ for all eternity is the most joyful and satisfying blessing. And it takes place forever. You hear Jesus say to the woman at the well, whoever drinks of this water will thirst again, but whoever drinks of the water that that I shall give him will never thirst. But the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. There is this unquenchable satisfaction of being with the Lord forever. We'll be close to him forever. Never at a distance, but we'll always be near him when it says to be with him. To always be near him. I think of Moses when he is there in Exodus in chapter 33 where he says, please show me your glory. Just Can you just show me your glory? I just want to see your glory. And God says to him, I'll make all my goodness pass before you. And I'll proclaim the name of the Lord before you. I'll be gracious to whom I'll be gracious and I'll have compassion on whom I'll have compassion. But he says, but you cannot see my face. For no man shall see my face and live. You can't see my glory in that sense. You cannot see my face because you can't see my face and live. And the Lord said, 
here is a place by me and you shall stand on the rock and so shall it be when my glory passes by that I will put you in the cleft of the rock and I'll cover you with my hand while I'll pass by. And then I'll take my hand away and you shall see my back, but my face you shall not see. You, you can see just a little bit, but I, I, I need to put you in the cleft of this rock and I got to hide my glory from you with, with my hand. I got to make it so that that, that that is not possible because if you, if you see it, you're going to just disintegrate before me. You will die just by beholding my glory. But I'll let you see my back, but my face, it shall not be seen. The glory of God, to be able to be with him and to be able to behold him in his glory, it has to be the most amazing thing imaginable. Something in which I think we far too underestimate. We think of going to heaven and just, I can't wait to be there so I could be with this person. I miss this person so much, I can't wait to be there so I could be with these people. I can't wait to be there so there's no more pain. That's all I just want is no more pain. Or I can't wait to be there so there's no more tears. Or I look forward to being there so much because there'll be, there'll be no more sadness and, and there'll be no more sin. I just long to be there for these Reasons And those are all incredible reasons to want to be there with the Lord in heaven. But they, they pale in comparison to beholding your Lord and to be with him and to be able to see him in his glory. In 1 John chapter 3, it says in verse 2, Beloved, now we are children of God and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be, but we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And everyone who has his hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. There is coming a day because of the work of Christ upon the cross in which we will enter into heaven and we will be like him. In Matthew 5 and verse 8, it says, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall, they shall what? They shall, they shall see God. They shall see him. Oh, how happy are those whose sins have been washed away. They will see him. In 1 Corinthians 13, 12, it says, For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know just as I also am known. There is coming that day in which I will see him. There is coming that day in which I will see him face to face. Right now you see dimly. But then face to face. Paul also said in 2 Corinthians 4, 6, For it is God who commanded light to shine out of darkness, who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Christ changed everything for us. It is now possible, as God has commanded light to shine out of darkness, who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God the glory of God, the one in whom, the one in which Moses could not see, but to be able to see it in the face of Jesus Christ for all eternity. Radical. Turn with me for a moment in your Bibles to Revelation chapter 1 and verse 12. We get a glimpse of this as we read from 
the Apostle John. He gives us a, a picture of what this might look like. Revelation 112. It says, Then I turned to see the voice that spoke with me. And having turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the midst of the seven lampstands, one like the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to the feet, and girded about the chest with a golden band. His head and hair were like were, were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes like a flame of fire. His feet were like fine brass, as if refined in a furnace. And his voice is the sound of many waters. He had in his right hand seven stars. Out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword. And his countenance was like the sun shining in its strength. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. But he laid his right hand on me, saying to me, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am he who lives and was dead. And behold, I am... Am alive forevermore. Amen. And I have the keys of Hades and of death. Here's John going up there and he's describing what he's seen. This scene as he's there and there's this voice and there's one like the Son of Man and he's got this garment down to his feet and this golden band around his chest. His his head and his hair were white like wool, as white as snow, and his, flame, his eyes were like a flame of fire. <laughs> he's talking about this, and he's just, he, we have a picture in our mind, and whatever that picture in your mind is, is pitiful compared to reality. If you're, if you're picturing this, this, this old man-looking like person with a big beard that's white, you, you, it's, 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 it's nothing like that. Eyes that are like a flame of fire. And then he goes on to describe his countenance was like the sun shining in its strength. The sun shining in its strength. The brilliance of the Son of God. The brilliance of Christ. This one in whom we'll see face to face in his glory John says it was like the sun shining in its full strength. He says, and I just, I just, I saw him, and I just fell at my at his feet like I was dead. For those of you who have ever had thoughts like this, like when I get to heaven, the first thing I'm gonna do is I'm gonna charge right up to him and I'm gonna say, "Why did you do this? You, you, you're nuts." You will not do that. You, you will be there by God's grace through faith in Christ. And there will be no charging up to anybody and demanding answers. You're just not going to do that. You, you, you will feel so foolish that you even have thought such a notion. That you're going to approach the king of this universe like that. And if you think that you're going to come and, and do something like that, your view of God is way too small. It's just way too small. You, you're, you're never going to go to the creator of this universe and demand answers. He's not going to do it. He says, I just crumbled. I just fell. I was like I was dead. I just crumbled. And then, th- th- think of this. The one in whom 
who said, hide in the cleft of this rock. I'm going to put my hand over so I can pass by you. And you get to see my backside as I, as I pass by. This same one comes and shining like the sun, his voice like the sound of, of many waters, and he comes down, and what does he do? He just, he takes his right hand, and he lays it on John. So just, just picture this for a moment. The one shining in all of his glory just takes his right hand, and he, he reaches down and puts his right hand on John, and his words are, do not be afraid. John, don't be afraid. And John's thinking, why? I just crumbled. Don't be afraid. Why? Because I'm, I'm the first and the last. I'm he who lives and was dead. And behold, I'm alive forevermore. I conquered sin and death. I'm the one that holds the keys of Hades and death. I hold them. I'm the one who's written your name in the book of life. I'm the one that has given you my righteousness. I'm the one that has taken your sins away from you. I'm the one that took the wrath that you deserved upon myself. I was dead and now I'm alive and you can approach the throne of God now boldly. It's just radical. And so when it says we will be with him, we will behold his glory This is no small thing, brothers and sisters. This is absolutely glorious and incredible and something that should just bring us to a place of of worship. It says, Father, I desire that they also whom you gave me, we belong to him, may be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory which you have given me. Now notice this. He's praying to the Father. I desire that they whom you gave me. Now these are just all like things that just just be like assurance, assurance, assurance. You have been given to the Son by the Father. That they may be with me where I am. Loving, loving heart of our God. Why? It's not solely so that you can be reacquainted with loved ones or see streets of gold or pearly gates or have no more pain or have no more sadness or have no more sorrow or have no more sin or any of those things. The primary reason in which he prays in this prayer is so that you may be able to behold the glory of Christ. That they might be with me and that they may behold my glory which you have given me. That they might be able to see me. That they might be able to see me and to see me in my glory. Why would this matter? It's because it is the source of the greatest joy that we could ever hope for. If we think that the greatest joy is no more pain or no more sorrow, we're wrong. That's just, that's overflow of it. The greatest joy is to be able to see him, 
to be with him, to be able to see him in his brilliance, to see him in his glory, to be in awe of him, to be amazed at him, to be able to look upon him and know him and to be able to gaze into him and know him better and better and to be in a place of worshiping him in spirit and in truth and with our eyes which see dimly right now, but then face to face to be able to see him in all of his worth and then just to respond properly to that. That they may behold my glory which you have given me. For you loved me before the foundation of the world. Notice the reasoning that's given there. For you loved me from the foundation of the world, from everlasting, from eternity past. Christ has been loved by the Father. The Father has delighted in the Son with a perfect love for all eternity. Whenever it says from the foundations of the world, it's going to say before time began, from eternity past, from everlasting, you have loved me like that. And so as he's praying to the Father, that they might be with me, that they might behold my glory. The reason that it is given is because, because you have loved me from the foundations of the world. Why does the Father love the Son? They've been in perfect union for all eternity. Christ is the express image of the Father. He displays the glory of the Father. He's perfectly pure, perfectly holy. He always does those things which please the Father. He's faithful and true. He is, in fact, God the Son. He is, in fact, God himself. And there is great love between the triune Godhead. For you loved me. You hear that in this prayer, just this knowledge and recognition of, you have loved me, Father. From the foundations of the world, from the very beginning, you have always, always loved me. The revelation of God and the Father's love for God the Son should cause us to be in absolute awe that he gave his Son to become sin for us, that he might bring us to himself. The one the Father loved from everlasting was spit upon and he was mocked and he was whipped and he was pierced and he died as he was crucified. May we be eternally thankful for the cross and the gift of the Father's only begotten Son. You hear it in this prayer. You have loved me from before the foundations of this world. And to think that union, that love, oh, the Father's love for us. That he'd give us his only begotten son. That whosoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. In verse 25, he then prays, O righteous, o righteous Father, Notice the description of his father. Righteous father. The one who is perfect. The one who is holy. The one who is pure. The one who always does those things which are right. The world has not known you. But I have known you. And these have known that you sent me. Des describes three people there. The world. The world that is out there, they have not known you. That's true. There's no knowledge of God that leads to, to love and worship and thankfulness and a desire to please Him and a desire to live for Him. 
In 1 Corinthians 2, 14, it says, But the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, nor can he know them because they're spiritually discerned. It's something in which they don't know him. In a sense, they're able to know him, as we see in Romans chapter 1, as far as they see all of these things that, that he has done, but they don't know him in the biblical sense of the knowledge of God. Titus 1.16 says, For they profess to know God, but in their works they deny him. Isaiah 1, verse 3 says, The ox knows its owner and the donkey its master's crib, but Israel does not know. My people do not consider. Although they were Israel, God said, They didn't know me like that. The world has not known you. If you're here this morning, you're an unbeliever, and you say, like, No, I got to, me and God are good. We're good. We got our own deal going. You don't. There's only one way to know him, and that's through faith in Christ. There's only one way. You can say that you know him, but it is a different God than the God of this universe, the God of the Bible. He goes from there to say, but I have known you. From eternity past, Christ has been with the Father, and he's come to reveal the Father. I have known you, and these have known you that you sent me. First to believers. They know you. They know you. They know you to a place of knowing that I have come from you. They know you to the extent of I am their Savior. They know you as far as being holy, and they know you as being good, and they know you as being gracious. They know you as being loving. They know you to be a covenant keeper. They know you to be faithful. They know you that you gave your son. They know that his blood was spilled. They know that they have seen me, and they have thus seen the Father, and they love you. There has been this veil that has been removed and their hearts have been softened and they've been made new creations in Christ to where they know you. He refers to them. The world has not known you, but I have known you and these have known that you sent me. These, my disciples, my people, they have known that you sent me. In verse 26, it says, and I have declared to them your name. I've declared to them your name. He has made the Father known. He has declared it in such a way in which we as believers have come to know the Father. And he says, and I will declare it. See that through his death, through his resurrection, through his appearance here on earth, through the word of God, through the gift of the Holy Spirit, through the way in which he saved us. He has declared it. That the love with which you loved me may be in them and I in them. And he closes his prayer. The love with which you love me may be in them and I in them. In John Piper's book, God is the Gospel, he says this. This is an awesome promise. He's not merely saying that we will see his glory. But that when we see him we will love him with the very love that the Father has for the Son. That the love with which you have loved me may be in them. 
This is the love that consists of supreme delight. The Father has infinite joy in the glory of His Son. We are promised to share in that joy. This means that seeing and being by themselves are not the ultimate benefit of the gospel. Seeing leads to savoring, or it is not good news at all. And so the point of this is this. The love with which the Father loved the Son will be in you and will be in me. It is a work in which God does for us in salvation, in which he reveals reveals himself to us and changes our hearts and takes our sin away and gives us different affections as he places the Holy Spirit within us, different longings, and he changes us and molds us and conforms us into his image, being conformed more and more into his image to where we will be like him, for we will see him as he is. And in all of these things, you will love Christ with the love with which the Father has loved him. I can't wait for that day. I long for that day. Currently, right now, I love him. I love him to the place of wanting to worship him and wanting to learn from him and wanting to grow in him and wanting to obey him. And I, long, I love him in the sense of I can't wait to be with him, but I fail miserably in my love for him. Every time I choose sin over him, Every time I, I look between the two and I, I go after the things of the world versus the things of God, the failure to worship him with all that is within me and, and, and knowing that there's just incredible failure in the way in which I love him, to be able to look at the Father's love for the Son, the perfect love of the Father for the Son, and to be able to think, That love in which the Father loves the Son is going to be in me and in you. And you will love him like that. That is the greatest gift in eternal life. That you are going to love him with the same love in which the Father loves the Son. And you will be able to see him in all of his glory and respond appropriately and to behold him and to be able to gaze upon him and to be able to be with him and to be able to spend eternity in such a place. Glorious. Glorious. All of the joy in which we can experience here on earth is nothing in comparison to entering in to the joy of the Lord. And that is how the Lord closes his prayer. And know this as we close. Will this prayer be answered? Absolutely. The perfect prayer of our Savior in John 17 means that God always answers the prayers of Christ. It is a perfect prayer in which it will be answered. And you will, brothers and sisters, behold his glory. And you will be with him. And you will love the Son with the same love that the Father has for the Son. And we will do that together for all eternity. And it's not because of us. It's because of him.
We will not be there by our own merit, but we will be there because Christ died for us and rose again on the third day. And whosoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. Amen. Let's pray together. Lord God, we love the text that's been before us this morning. I pray that it would be just great comfort to those that are in a place of great hurt on this, on this morning. And I pray, Lord, that it would be something that just comforts us and causes us to just long to be in the presence of our God. May we see you as a God with such perfection, such majesty, such glory that our desires and our delights shift away from our circumstances to our Savior. May our desires and delights be found in you, Christ. What an incredible thing that you have done for us. What an incredible kingdom in which you have saved us in that we get to spend all eternity with you. I pray that the praises of your people on this morning would properly reflect all that we long for in you and all that we currently have in you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.